Nat Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the place to be this Saturday. Swing by before and after the Elton John concert that's across the street at Nationals Park. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. No score, two out, a runner at first for the Braves. We're in the bottom of the first inning here at Atlanta. Now Corbin stepping off and walking down behind the mound for a moment. I don't know if something's bothering think, him. Yeah, I think something yeah. is bothering him. He might be cramping up here. He's doing some deep stretching. You know, he got examined. Uh, it's back spasms, so we'll, we'll see how he feels tomorrow. Threw a pitch and um, tightened up on him. So, you know, we watched him. Uh, he started trying to stretch. We went out there, and he said it just it just cramped up on him. He, he couldn't get loose. He tried to get, get back on the mound. As he was going back on the mound, he said he, he just couldn't get loose. So the smart thing to do is ch- you know, get him out of there. Ramirez deals. Swing a high drive, left center field and deep. Long chase going back. Hernandez and Robles looking up at the wall, and it's gone. 2-0 Atlanta. Darno first pitch. Homer is 18th. Looking for that clutch hit here. Jansen kicks, delivers the pitch. Swing and a fly ball. Left center field. Playable for Harris. Backing up. Shy of the track. Makes the catch. And the Braves hold on and win it. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this installment of the Nats Chat podcast, but I am pleased to be joined by the mastermind of the podcast, the Branch Ricky of the podcast, Tim Shovers. Uh, the Nats on Tuesday night rallied. They battled. The boys battled, as Davey Martinez likes to say, but the Nats ultimately did lose a 3-2 loss at the National League wildcard leading Atlanta Braves in game two of a three-game series. Nats now a major league worst 51-97, and 97, including 13-49 and 49 against the National League East. That really is something, right? 49 losses in 62 games against the division this season. But the Nats did almost author an impressive come-from-behind win. The Nats in the top of the ninth trailed 3-1, scored a run off Braves closer Kenley Jansen, had the bases loaded with two outs, and the team's cleanup batter, the starting DH, Luke Voigt, had the plate, but he then flew out to center field to end the game. Watching the game, Tim, did you believe, did you have belief in the boys pulling off what would have been a pretty improbable come-from-behind win? No, not for one second, Al. I've been watching this team for uh, almost six months, and I knew it was going to end with them coming up just short. That's been one of the things this year. It's not only obviously the losses, but the amount of times that they've just fallen behind and that's it. 
that's the game. And I know we've had a lot of ninth inning drama or mini drama, such as this evening where they made it interesting. But it's just uh, we talk about sample size on this show. and We have almost 150 games of sample size. So I knew what was probably going to happen there. Yeah, you know, the Braves did their darndest to give this game to the Nats. Three errors for the Braves on Tuesday night, but the Nats just did not do much offensively. Had opportunities, to be sure, but for the game, just two runs, a mere seven hits, a double, and six singles. The Nats did work for walks, but went just two for 11 with runners in scoring position. Struck out 14 times, and the Nats left 11 runners on base. Just a lot of missed opportunities. I mentioned what happened with Luke Voigt in the top of the ninth. How about Ildemaro Vargas? And look, Vargas overall has done a really good job for the Nats. But Vargas, top of the fourth, bases loaded, two outs, struck out swinging on four pitches. Lane Thomas on Tuesday night, 0 for 4 with a walk and four strikeouts, left four men on base. You know, when you're a good team and you do things like that, it's hard to win. When you're a bad team and you're facing a really good team, the Braves, and you do things like that, you know, the Nats are almost lucky to have lost by just one run on Tuesday night. Yeah, it was, you know, I watched every pitch, but by the ninth inning, I was like, this game's only three to one and then three to two. It just felt much more than that. The pace certainly did not make you feel like you were watching a low scoring game. It's hard to believe now that Nats won two games in Atlanta back in April <laughs> uh, and won a series there, but uh, haven't picked up a game since. That is crazy, especially when you consider, again, 13 and 49 against the National League East. You know, it's easy to become desensitized to various things about the Nats this year, especially like those of us who are in the Nats bubble and, you know, we're talking about the team all the time. I know so many of you listening are like, you know, huge Nats fans and like that's your team. And so you kind of just get used to these basic things about the team. But when you take a step back and you, and you view the team in the season from 30,000 feet, that is remarkable. 62 games against the NL East, 49 of the 62 have resulted in losses. That's one of the more staggering things I can ever remember about any Nats team, good or bad, that extreme of a record within the NL East for a season. I'll take it a step further. So they had three wins right off the bat, right away. They won the series finale against the Mets back in April, and then they won two of three in Atlanta, as I said. And then this month, they won two of three in New York, and then also won two of three against the Marlins. So that's seven wins right there. So that means from May through August, they had six divisional wins. I mean, think about that. That's four months, six divisional wins. They play almost half their games (laughs) against these teams. It's incredible. I mean, there was a time when the NL East was down. The division certainly has gotten a lot better, but still, I mean, 13 and 49, you know, it's hard to justify that. It's hard to explain that away. But this game on Tuesday night was close, but like we were saying, it was an ads loss. Uh, Luis Garcia did have a big hit. He was an ad starting second baseman and number two batter, one for five with an RBI single. Did strike out three times, but Garcia and that Nats one run ninth, a two out RBI single to right field off Kenley Jansen to cut the deficit to 3-2, and Garcia had a stolen base. We had another extra base hit for Joey Manessis on Tuesday night off his 4-for-4 night on Monday night with the four singles. Manessis on Tuesday night, 1-for-4 with a double and an intentional walk. He and that's one run six, had a one-out opposite field double off the right field warning track. I also did want to highlight this. Victor Robles on Tuesday night made an excellent defensive play. Swing a line drive right center field. Robles after it. He dives and he caught it and he holds on. You know, we may well be in the dying days of Victor Robles as anything close to a Nats 
every game player, maybe even in the dying days of Victor Robles as a Nats player, period. He on Tuesday night was the Nats starting center fielder and number eight batter, one for four with a single and this great defensive play. Uh, bottom of the six, Nats are down 2-1, a terrific diving catch in the right center field gap of a two-out liner by Travis Darno for the third out. But uh, otherwise, just not a lot happening with this Nats lineup in this game. Nats offense overall has been better these last few weeks. We've talked about that. You know, you did have some base runners on Tuesday night and you had some things here and there, but geez, just not a lot coming from this lineup in this game. Yeah, another sleepy night from the Nats at the plate, but Joey Manessis, yet again, another hit for him. So uh, this is going to happen all the time when you have, you know, it's Garcia, Manessis, and Voight as your top hitters and Cesar Hernandez is hitting fifth. So (laughs) this is what it's going to be. Major credit to the Nats bullpen for what it did on Tuesday night. So Patrick Corbin was the Nats starting pitcher. He only lasted for two-thirds of an inning. Now, if you didn't watch the game, if you know nothing about the game, you hear that and you're probably like, oh boy, how many runs did Patrick give up to where he only lasted for two-thirds of an inning? No, for once, this abbreviated Patrick Corbin start was not due to him getting shellacked in the game. Corbin, who, remember, had been good in four of his previous five starts, lasted for just two-thirds of an inning due to back spasms. See, in the bottom of the first sandwich, two outs around a single and then left the game due to back spasms. So understand, the Nats for this series at the Braves had not yet announced a starting pitcher for Wednesday. And the thinking was, well, the Nats might do a bullpen game for this game three at the Braves on Wednesday. It's an early game. It's a 12.20 p.m. first pitch. You know, this is like so typical of the Nats' luck lately. And when I say lately, I mean like the last few years. You know, this like perpetual dark cloud over the Nats. Davey Martinez is thinking bullpen game potentially for Wednesday. And what happens on Tuesday night? His starting pitcher lasts for two-thirds of an inning due to back spasms. And so the Nats in this game had to have four relievers cover the rest of the game. Four relievers combined to allow three runs in seven in a third inning. So overall, a good job by the pen. Erasmo Ramirez allowed two runs in three and two-thirds innings. Cena Braves two-run fourth. Gave up a one-out first pitch, two-run homer to Travis Darno to left center for a 2-0 Braves lead. Jordan Weems, two into third perfect innings. He did a really nice job. Hunter Harvey, a scoreless bottom of the seventh inning. And then Kyle Finnegan in the bottom of the eighth, I thought had like the ultimate Kyle Finnegan appearance. If you're not sure about who Kyle Finnegan is, the bottom of the eighth captured that perfectly. And of course, the bottom of the eighth left you saying to yourself, I'm still not sure what Kyle Finnegan is. Bottom of the eighth, he gave up a leadoff opposite field home run to Dansby Swanson to right field on a 1-2 pitch for a 3-1 Braves lead. So the bad of Kyle Finnegan. But then Finnegan recorded three consecutive swinging strikeouts of the Braves numbers three through five batters, Austin Riley, Matt Olson, and Travis Darno. I thought that that is Kyle Finnegan in a nutshell. The bad and the good. He gives up too many home runs. He puts too many guys on base. He's not someone who's great appearance in and appearance out, but when he's on, he can be excellent. And sure enough, in this outing, he went from giving up the homer to looking dominant against the Braves numbers three through five batters. But overall, good job by the pen in uh, what was a tricky night with what happened with Patrick Corbin. Yeah, hats off to Rosman Ramirez. He really kept this game together by pitching three innings. The Nats were really trying to stretch him as long as possible until that home run he gave up to Travis Darnot. Because otherwise, when Corbin left in the first inning, I'm like, are they going to use seven, eight pitchers tonight? Like, how many we're going to have here? Quote unquote, only needed four relievers out of the pen. And uh, for Wednesday, by the way, Al, Davey Martinez did say post game, 
Paolo Espino, the secret weapon, will be on the mound seeking his first victory of the season. Well, that's Paolo. When you need someone, you turn to Paolo. You know, that's just like how it is. So we should have probably assumed all along it was going to end up being Paolo, but we're not sure. I guess, I don't know if we'll ever know if Paolo would have started game three of this series, uh, if not for Corbin and the back spasms. You know, back spasms obviously are not like something that wreck you and end your season. I do wonder though, if given the season that Patrick Corbin has had, given this concern that I know some people have, I don't personally have it, but I know some people have of Patrick Corbin potentially having a 20 loss season, his record for this season is six and 18. I wonder if the Nats are at all considering just saying, okay, that's it for Patrick Corbin, you know, because you could say, hey, Patrick, you pitched well in four of your last five true starts. You know, you have this most recent start that's cut short due to back spasms. Let's call it a season for you. Now, I know that the Nats aren't exactly overflowing with starting pitching options. We do know that Mackenzie Gore is going to be making another minor league rehab start for AAA Rochester on Wednesday. But when he might pitch for the Nats at the major league level is still not clear. So I don't know if maybe just at a necessity, you can't shut down Patrick Corbin. But I wonder if the Nats are considering that now. Well, I hope that if they want to shut down Corbin, that they either shut him down because they think he should be shut down or they don't think he should. Regardless of what the situation is, with the pitching roster, if you got to call up guys from the minor leagues, sort of like they did last year in game 162 with Yo on a Doan, whatever, do it. I'd be totally fine if they called it a season for Patrick Corbin. He is, I know there's been a lot of problems the last few years, but he's been healthy. So this is the first sign of trouble. Back spasms are weird, right? He might be fine tomorrow. It could be a thing that lingers. We never know. Coming into tonight, I was looking at it and thought, okay, he's got three, maybe four starts left in terms of would he get those 20 losses. So now, let's just say even he takes the ball in four days, which is highly unlikely, he would have two or three starts left. So Mike Baroth from the 03 Detroit Tigers, uh, I don't know if he's paying attention or not. He's the last guy to lose 20 games, but he can probably sleep easy after Corbin exited tonight. It is the one nice thing you can say about Patrick Corbin over these last three years in which he has been so bad. He has been durable. And I don't think you take that for granted in this era in which so many pitchers get hurt so often. Now, of course, what does it mean if you're durable and you're bad, right? Like, no, it doesn't mean a ton. But it's remarkable and it's part of what makes what has happened with Corbin so peculiar and so hard to understand because normally when a pitcher falls apart the way Corbin has fallen apart, injury is a factor. That has not been a factor with Patrick Corbin. I mean, if you look at what he's done going back to the start of the 2016 season, he has appeared in at least 31 games in each season since then through last season, if you take out the abbreviated 2020 season. And in that season, he made 11 starts, which was basically like 30 starts in a normal 162 game season. So he has been durable. He has given the Nats a lot in the way of volume and innings, but obviously the quality has not been there the last three years. But we'll see. I mean, I think this is the out. If you want an out from Patrick Corbin's 2022 season, this would seem to be an out of you say, hey, pitched well lately, back spasms, let's call it a season and uh, figure something else out the rest of the way. You know, that's the thing too. There may not be obvious guys to turn to beyond, say, Mackenzie Gore in terms of the rotation, but you only have about two weeks left to cover for this season. So like 
honestly, who cares if you have to do some bullpen games or call up some guys from the minors who you're not exactly in love with calling up right now? I mean, the season is going to end two weeks from today. This podcast is for Wednesday, September 21st. The final day of the regular season is Wednesday, October 5th. So, you know, I know that teams don't like to just tap out on the rest of their seasons, even in a bad team like the Nats. But let's be honest about things. You could do that with Corbin here, and I don't think too many people would be upset. Oh, definitely. No question about it. And, uh, you know, the thing was, in the first inning when he, you could tell something was up, and I thought Masson did a really good job of showing it after the fact, after Davey Martinez and the trainer came to the mound, where Corbin just sort of was was fidgeting and he couldn't stand still. I, I'm not really sure what it was, and fortunately, knock on wood, I haven't had back issues, but you could tell something was up with him, and then he finally stepped off and tried to walk around. And you could just really feel his discomfort there from someone that has not shown any sort of signs of physical discomfort in the past few years. So with Kyle Finnegan, because I've talked with Mark a lot about Finnegan. Mark loves Finnegan, as you probably know. I think Finnegan, again, he's like Wander Suero at a higher level. Sometimes he's great and sometimes he's not good at all. And you're not sure which Kyle Finnegan you're going to get. And as we saw on Tuesday night, you can get each version of Kyle Finnegan in the same inning. So do you think Kyle Finnegan can be a true stud ace reliever, a true stud closer? Or do you look at him like you look at a lot of relievers and say, I don't trust this guy? Oh, I don't think he's top-notch at all. I think he is a really good team. I think he'd be their seventh-inning guy. I don't think he's a closer. Maybe some some teams he could be the eighth-inning guy. He's been the eighth-inning guy for the Nats. But I don't think he's got ace reliever stuff. Now, like you said, he fills the stat sheet, three strikeouts tonight. But he's just too all over the map for me, and I don't think he has that signature pitch, that dominant stuff. So I'm not as high on him as others. Yeah, I think he's a guy who, if he does catch fire, like let's say next year Kyle Finnegan has a great year, I think he's a classic example of someone on whom you sell high. And even though you say, well, he's young and he's under team control and the Nats are a rebuilding team, so maybe he can be a piece moving forward. I think with bullpens, it's different. I think bullpens, you go year to year with them. I don't think you have like you know, foundational pieces in your bullpen. I I don't think you look at a bullpen that way. And so to me, you treat relievers almost like stocks. You know, you buy low, you sell high. And if Finnegan gets on a run next year, and he's capable of that, because I think, you know, he does have the stuff to do that. I think he's the kind of guy with whom you sell high. It's been an odd statistical profile for Finnegan this year. He's appeared in 61 games, 60 and two thirds innings. His ERA now is 386. That's a bad ERA for a uh, back end of the game guy in terms of, you know, a closer or an eighth inning guy. Really good relievers have ERAs like in the ones and twos. Finnegan's is nearly four. His whip is 117. And he now is allowed nine home runs this season, but he also has 64 strikeouts in 60 and two thirds innings. So he can be dominant. And like I said, I mean, he struck out the Braves three through five batters all swinging in that uh, bottom of the eighth on uh, Tuesday night in Austin Riley, Matt Olson, and Travis Darno. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Pennant races in baseball are on and Window Nation is coming through in the clutch. Think of Window Nation as the 2019 Nats. You right now can get new windows from Window Nation at half price. Two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and make sure that you tell Window Nation 
that Al Galdi sent you. Lower your energy bills and raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Over 1,500 custom vinyl window options are available. And if you're wondering, well, do I need new windows? Well, if your current windows are sticky or drafty or cracked or hard to open or locked when the windows close, then you need new windows. Get yourself Window Nation windows and take advantage of this great offer. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Nat's Chat is brought to you by BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life, so it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. It's been continually recommended to me that therapy is the way to go in modern times. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash NatsChat. That's BetterHelp.com slash NatsChat. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With Demeter on second, following the sacrifice, Maury will single. Demeter scores, and the Dodgers lead three to nothing. Maury will of the Wisp wills provided more diamond thrills than any player in the game. The dashing Dodgers shortstop with his daring deeds in the base paths was the biggest news in baseball. Well, we did have some sad news in the world of baseball on Tuesday, and it's uh, sad news related to Washington, D.C. Maury Wills has passed away. He died Monday night at his home in Sedona, Arizona. Uh, So said the Dodgers on Tuesday. Uh, They were informed by family members. uh, No cause of death was given. Maury Wills was 89 years old. And as a lot of you listening probably know, Maury Wills was from Washington, D.C. He went to Cardozo High School. He is someone who was one of the great base dealers in Major League Baseball for over a decade. He played for the Los Angeles Dodgers from 1959 through 1972. In his regular season career, he had 586 stolen bases. And he, from 1960 
through 1965, led the National League in stolen bases every year. I mean, when you talk about like the pioneer base dealers in baseball, obviously, you know, someone like a Lou Brock comes to mind. But Maury Wills is very much in that conversation. And he's someone who was a winner. He played on World Series championship teams in 1959, 1963, and 1965. And he's someone who just was one of the great players of the 1960s, especially. And it's always been a really cool thing that he's from Washington, D.C. You know, D.C. has spawned a number of all-time great athletes over the years. And Maury Wills is one of those guys. Like, he is one of the great players of yesteryear. And, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, obviously it's very sad that he died, but it's kind of a cool thing that you can pay tribute to him. And, you know, on this podcast, right, a Washington, D.C. baseball podcast, a Nationals podcast, I think it's worthy saluting the great Maury Wills. Yeah, definitely. Maury Wills is a name that I knew about as a kid. He had legendary status for people that grew up in the 50s and 60s and were baseball fans, which is my father. So he talked about Maury Wills stealing 104 bases. Uh, if you're a fellow fan of the movie Sandlot, Maury Wills' name gets mentioned in like the opening minutes. I didn't know that Maury Wills was from D.C. until a few years ago, and I learned that and got really excited about it. He did play in the 1962 All-Star Game at RFK. It wasn't called RFK at the time, D.C. Stadium, which is cool. D.C. native getting to play in the All-Star Game here. Howard Stadium is called Maury Wills Field, and I've uh, had softball practice there. So he is part of the local scene, and um, his name has stood the test of time. And, you know, it requires, got to look at his baseball reference page more closely. But I would be open to a resurrected conversation of should he get into Cooperstown? He never got in. He's been on different committees, but I think it's worthy of consideration, uh, especially as the stolen base has become more and more rare. Yeah, you can make the case. I think what's tough with him is that the offensive numbers, the hitting numbers really aren't that impressive. So you'd be putting in a guy who was a subpar batter in his career. You know, he was like an A-level base dealer, but he was a below average hitter in his career. So, you know, it kind of depends on what your definition of a Hall of Famer is and how you want to go about doing that. You know, you mentioned that 1962 All-Star Game in D.C. Wills was the MVP of that All-Star Game. So that was something that was very cool. And if you want to make a connection to the Nationals, I think I said earlier that Wills played for the Dodgers 59 to 72. I want to correct that. He played for the Pittsburgh Pirates for a couple of seasons, 67 and 68. And he was on the Montreal Expos for part of the 1969 season and then had a second stint with the Dodgers after that. So certainly the bulk of his career was with the Dodgers, but he did play for the Expos in 1969. So, you know, there is, <laughs> there is that connection to the Nationals franchise uh, if you want to extend that out. It's a tricky thing with baseball in Washington, D.C., right? Because you have the two incarnations of the Senators and Unless you're of a certain age, I mean, you have no memory of the Senators being here. Now you have the Nationals, so you have like team number three that is here. And so when it comes to like baseball history, it's a weird deal, right? Because technically the history of the Nats is the Expos, but how many people in D.C. truly feel a connection to the Expos? You know, feel a connection to Tim Raines and Gary Carter and people like that. And so what you end up doing is, yes, looking at some of the senators from yesteryear, you know, a guy like a Frank Howard, if you really want to go way back, a guy like a Walter Johnson, who I think is the greatest pitcher ever. But, you know, if he's not, he's certainly on the short list. But you also have guys who are from D.C. And so Maury Wills clearly would fall into that category. So rest in peace, Maury Wills, a very good 
major league career. Uh, the Dodgers will be wearing a patch to honor Maury Wills for the rest of this season. And like you said, with the stolen base really becoming like a dying species in baseball, it's cool to look back on guys like Wills and see what they did. I mean, you referenced the 104 stolen base season that Wills had. That was the 1962 season. And it's not just that he had 104 stolen bases that year. He went 104 for 117 on stolen bases. So analytics have revealed that if you're a base dealer and you're not succeeding on stolen bases, at least like two out of three, three out of four times, you're actually doing more harm than good because the outs that you're running into are inflicting more damage than the stolen bases that you're generating are producing. To go 104 for 117 on stolen bases in a season, as Maury Wills did in 1962, is like otherworldly. <laughs> and yet he did that in that 62 season. When my dad would talk about that season, that was the stat he would point to, was that he only got caught stealing 13 times. Yeah, man. I mean, because it's not just about how many steals you have. It's, okay, well, what's your hit rate on those steals? For that 62 season, Maury Wills converted on stolen bases at a clip of 88.9%. I mean, that is exceptional. So you talk about like great base dealer. It's not just about how many stolen bases do you have, but are you really good at the art of stealing bases? Uh, Maury Wills was. There's no question about that. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram as well at Nats Chat Podcast. And do not forget, it's coming up. The first ever Nats Chat Podcast Party going to be happening on Friday night, October 14th at 7 o'clock at Walters, right across the street from Nationals Park. We're very much looking forward to that. We'll hang out, talk Nats, watch some playoff baseball, and uh, just get to meet people. You know, doing this podcast for two years, we obviously hear from so many of you, but it's going to be nice to actually meet some of you. So if you can make it, we certainly would love to see you Friday night, October 14th, 7 o'clock at Walters, right across the street from Nationals Park. All Nationals radio highlights on that chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. I moved to the neighborhood about two weeks before school let out. It was the same summer that Dodger Maury Wills would break the stolen bases record. So with something that incredible going on, it should have started off with loads of great things happening for me. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.